Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu. And what we do here is we take a piece of pop culture. It might be a TV show, it might be a video game, it might be a movie. And whereas on the surface it might have bright flashing colours, what I do is I condense what that's all about and then reveal underneath the surface there's real actual history there that was either deliberately put there or accidentally influenced by. So I hope you enjoy this journey. And this time round, I'm actually wrapping together a lot of pop culture into just one word. And that word is Watchman. Now, if you don't know what Watchman is, originally it was a 12-part comic book series that came out as a limited series in 1986. And then it was pulled together as a graphic novel in 1987. So it starts off as a comic. But then, in 2009... It's eventually, after many false starts, including Terry Gilliam getting involved at one point wanting to make his version of Watchmen, it was eventually turned into a movie by Zack Snyder, hot off his movie 300. Then it was turned into a video game, and then there were another series of comics uh, as well, we'll go a little bit into that more later. But then in 2019, it was turned into, in its own way, a continuation of the story but set a few decades later and had a very, very different focus. So if all this sounds epic, I encourage you to come with me on this journey because I'm going to start off right now. At the end of the last millennia, in 1999, Time magazine, at the point, one of the most influential magazines in the world, talking about world news and culture, Time magazine wrote the 100 best novels and only one comic book got into this list of 100 which had things like lord of the rings and catcher in the rye and other great novels in there and the only comic was watchman because in the opinion of the reviewer the sophistication of storytelling the characterization all these things stood up with the greatest novels ever written and if that doesn't catch your attention, I don't know what will. So first of all, I'm going to say it before, I'm going to say it again. Look, if you like this, 
I'm, I'm living in a vacuum right now, so I need to know that you like this. Please give it a good review. That would be lovely if you could sort of go onto your podcast app and give it five stars. Thank you very much. Subscribe if you're not already, because we do one of these every week and it would be great to grow the numbers. And of course, you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Jem Deducci on Twitter. That link below, because that surname is not spelt how it sounds. It's D-U-D-U-C-U. I, I, I know, I know. Other episodes, I explain why I have that name. So anyway, let's get to it, shall we? The mid-1980s saw a step change in comic books. Suddenly, more mature comic books came out, a lot of them from the DC label, as opposed to Marvel. And round about the same, well, kind of within 12 months of each other, you have Watchmen and you have The Dark Knight Returns. This is not to be confused with the movie Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Returns was a revolutionary look at Batman. Now, he had become a bit darker, and very early on he was quite dark, but for a large period of Batman's life, he had more in common with something like the Adam West Batman of the 1960s than he did with the darker Christopher Nolan movies. But pretty much everything that came out post the mid-1980s, so basically from the Tim Burton Batman onwards, are all quite dark interpretations of Batman. Where did they come from? The answer is The Dark Knight Returns. Because what that is, is Batman's old. Bruce Wayne has retired more than a decade ago being Batman because what happened was Robin was killed by the Joker. And so we now see an old, bitter man who eventually feels not like he should don the cape again, but he is compelled. It, suddenly, this quest to be Batman is more like a, a mental disorder. It's a, like a psychosis. And he goes on these very epic, dark journey where he faces up some of his old enemies, things like Two-Faces and the Joker. Only this time round, He's doing it to the death. And it's a very different take on Batman, and I love it. I probably have read it more times than any other comic book ever. But while that was great, it was using, if you like, an established character. We all know who Batman is. But meanwhile, across the pond from America and Britain, there had been, for nearly a decade, a very revolutionary collection of comic book stories under the banner 2000 AD, which is probably best known for Judge Dredd. They created Judge Dredd. And they had all these amazing writers and artists who started on 2000 AD and quite frankly weren't paid a huge amount of money there. And they were so disorganized that some of the original artwork was literally used to mop up water that was leaking through the roof. So all that artwork's gone forever. And amongst all of these artists and geniuses and writers, etc., there was Dave Gibbons, who had drawn a number of Judge Dredd comic books and also, most notably, something called Rogue Trooper, if you like that stuff. And also Alan Moore, who'd written quite a few Future Shocks, which were sort of like the Twilight Zone in comic book form. Always had a twist, always had a dark angle. I guess in the modern world, they're like Black Mirror. Indeed, several Black Mirrors, and Charlie Brooker was a fan of 2000 AD back in the 80s, Several Black Mirrors have a strong connection, Jem said politely, allegedly, just to put that in as well, with some of these future shocks from 2000 AD from 30, 35 years ago. I'm just saying, it's influential. 
Jem said politely. So amongst all these writers was Alan Moore. And Alan Moore is everything you'd want from a British eccentric, because right now, Alan Moore prays, I'm not making this up by the way, he prays to a Roman snake god. And he's got a huge beard. He looks like he's got a badger strapped to his face. And he's got this sort of thick West Country accent. And he's into the occult and mysticism. And he's incredibly well-read, staggeringly literate. And he will go on to sort of podcast about science and sort of give his own angle on things. And he's not wrong. You know, he's done the research. But he also goes off into these incredibly weird extrapolations as well. He is everything you'd want in just this sort of thought-leading, intellectual, subversive, semi-anarchist kind of character. And that was kind of what 2000 AD was all about. And it was therefore very weird that the more mainstream, more straight down the, the middle comics of Marvel and DC would actually start hiring these guys from the UK. But what happened was Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore were in essence given free reign to run a 12-part series about their very unique take on superheroes. And so a number of people have said that Watchmen is the single greatest 2000 AD strip that wasn't actually published by 2000 AD because all the DNA is there from 2000 AD in the 1980s. It just, they, they moved. And since then, Alan Moore, he is a very grumpy man and he probably will absolutely hate this podcast. But he's made it quite clear. He created Watchmen and he is done with it. He does not want it to be turned into movies. He actively campaigned against the one that came out in 2009. There were things that I was doing in Watchmen which were, and in most of my comics books, they're designed not to be... Uh, they're designed to show off what the comics medium can do. Um, they weren't designed to be films. And pretty much every time he's worked with with Hollywood, he has all these amazing potential, but of course you then get the suits involved and ooh, we're not sure, we, we haven't tested that in terms of market research. That is not how he works. And so he's not exactly reclusive, but he certainly does not go for the limelight. And he pretty much despises almost everything he's done in America that has his name on it. So, yeah, and interestingly, in the movie version, it doesn't say Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Dave Gibbons is the only person credited. And while I'm talking about writing, it must also be pointed out that in the comic book form, obviously, image is everything. And what was really important, I once listened to a interview with Dave Gibbons, and he said, and this has always stuck with me, he goes, if you're going to tell a complicated story, you need to tell it as simply as possible. So with his layouts of these comic strips, once you know this, it's, it's like, wow, this is just such clean design. He makes sure that there is never more than nine panels on a page. And it should be very obvious that you're sort of reading from left to right and then from the top to the bottom. And some comic, there's a central image and you kind of got to read around it anti-clockwise to make sense leading up to this big picture in the middle. And it's like, if I'm not sure which way to read this comic book, and also it's got multiple layers. It's got metaphorical sub-comics within the comic. I'm not making this up. It's got entire sections where it just stops with the comic and there's several pages of a psychological report of one of the characters, like it's fallen out of somebody's briefcase. This is genius. 
So everybody was firing on all cylinders, and I absolutely agree with Time magazine. And I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but in essence, what Watchmen is about is the story of hooded vigilantes who have been working in America since round about World War II up until the 1980s. Now, what happened was in the 1970s is that these various groups of costume vigilantes were banned. They were seen as being too dangerous, too out of control, too beyond the, the reaches of the police. And so they've now gone underground. And then what's happened, the central conceit is it's a murder mystery because all these retired members of Watchmen are being hunted down and being killed. And one of them is called The Comedian. And the opening bit is basically, last night, a comedian died in New York. The point is, he literally died, but of course, comedians die on stage all the time, i.e. they're not very funny. <laughs> and each one of these characters from The Watchmen is a reference to an existing comic book character or hero type that you already know and they're sort of playing around with it. I'll give you an example. Night Owl is clearly Batman. He's got a cape. He sort of like hunts in the night. Does any of this sound familiar? He's got a sort of special aircraft that drives him around and he's a great detective. So yeah, it's Batman without having to get into any of the legalities of Batman, okay? However, most people's favorite, in inverted commas, character in the original Watchmen is Rorschach. Rorschach, and you may have heard of the Rorschach tests, Rorschach has a special mask that looks like one of those ink block tests and it's constantly moving. And he's the speech bubbles are kind of weirdly drawn. And so when in 2009, we actually could hear him, the voice that came out of the cinema screen was exactly the voice everybody had in their heads when reading it. And there's a, a great moment, maybe Greg's going to sort of cut to this, where at one point Rorschach is in prison and everybody's out to get him because he put most of those people behind bars. And he, I'm, I'm not going to go into the details because I, I guess I need to point this out. Watchmen is very adult in its content in terms of adult relationships, adult themes, and also a lot of explicit violence as well, both in the comic and in the movie. And so he basically, this, this guy's about to attack him in the prison as he's lining up for food. And I will be polite and say he stops him aggressively, and then he turns around to everybody and says, What do you seem to understand? I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. And it's just, oh, that sort of line of just sheer confidence and aggression. Uh, and obviously he's not allowed to have his mask on in prison and there's a big sort of prison riot and eventually he manages to break in and get his old gear back. And he says to the psychologist, Where's my face? Not my mask, my face, because I am Rorschach. So he is uncompromising. He will absolutely be unstoppable against evil. And he's not necessarily protecting you because he wants to protect you, but because you haven't caused any problems, he isn't going to cause any problems to you. So this kind of vicious purity to Rorschach. And there are so many other characters. But what this is, is if you like an alternate history 
of post-war America. So there's the Minutemen who were around in the 40s and 50s and they eventually kind of went their separate ways. And then in, in the sort of 60s and 70s, you had the Watchmen, who some of the people from the Minutemen had become part of this new group, Watchmen, and then we're now into the 80s and, you know, the few remaining people are sort of trying to work out what's going on. And the story just gets bigger and bigger. The story is taking to pieces this image of the superhero, because let's be honest, if you have all that power, more often than not with human beings, it corrupts you. And why are you wearing that mask? Is it to protect your identity or is it so you can literally get away with murder? There are all these tough, clever sociological questions, psychological questions being thrown out there. And in the meantime, there's this alternate history of what's been going on. Richard Nixon in the 1980s, Watergate never happened and basically he was able to repeal the laws and he is now fourth term in his presidency. From the 1980s perspective, the great thing about this is this is a time bubble inside another time capsule bubble. It gets very, very meta because the sort of what they're angry about in the 1980s is less important to us today. You know, we, we're aware of Richard Nixon, but we, we don't quite have the same anger about Richard Nixon today than we did, you know, with about a decade after he ended up leaving the White House basically in disgrace. But interestingly, there is an environmental and ecological message, which was just coming out in the 1980s, which of course now is absolutely taken for granted and leads you to an even more bigger philosophical question where somebody who does something unspeakably bad does a very good thing towards the environment. So if we stop them doing that unspeakably bad thing, would that have stopped us actually saving the environment? And, you know, in which case, do, does one counter the other? It gets you thinking, which is not what you can say about most comic books, particularly in the 1980s. I have just looked at the time and I realise this is going to be perhaps the longest episode I've done. So I, I'm kind of still on the very first, the origins of this all, the actual graphic novel, which I absolutely encourage you to read. And if you're not going to read it or you're sitting there going, I can't be bothered, then have a look at the movie because, again, I don't want to go too much into it. It has quite a different ending, which has led to a lot of debate about the ending, if you like, the last five minutes. Everything else, however, there are some scenes that are literally frame by frame, shot by shot, the same as the movie. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Zack Snyder was a huge fan of Watchmen and wanted to do it justice. And while some people have moaned a bit about, you know, well, they didn't have this bit or the tone here is a little bit off. If you're going to talk about a very honest reproduction of a different medium. Let's take, for example, The Shining. The Shining movie is considered one of the greatest horror movies of all time and has become a classic, but Stephen King hated it because it was so different to his original book. In the end, he actually directed his own version of The Shining in the 1990s. And there's a reason why you haven't watched that one, because while it may be very honest and true to the original source material, it's it's not even a patch on this absolute classic by Stanley Kubrick. So whereas with Watchmen, it's a great comic book, it's also, a, I'm going to say, a really underrated movie. And when I saw the first trailer, there were all these scenes of, oh, yeah, it's that bit. And it's, oh, it's that bit as well. Wow, amazing. So I showed it to my wife and she's like, I don't get it. And it's like, yeah, of course, if it's all taken out of context, this kind of looks a bit like a, a more bloody version of a standard superhero movie. It's like, no, 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 it's, trust me, this is really good, really important. And in the end, I showed it to her on DVD. And it is now her favourite comic book movie of all time, which I find very weird because it is, as like I say, it is very adult in a number of occasions, but she loves it. And it's led to her actually going out and buying the graphic novel. Actually, full disclosure, I gave it to her as a present. But she wanted it and she devoured it and absolutely loved it. So then in 2019, when I heard that there was a Watchmen TV show coming out, I was intrigued. However, I, like many other fans, were worried because they were saying, oh, no, no, we're not remaking Watchmen. It's set in the same world. In fact, hardly anybody from the original comic book is going to be in the TV show. It's going to be virtually all completely different characters. Like, what? And it's not even going to be set in the same area. It's going to be set in Tulsa, not New York. Okay. And the more I heard about it, it's like, did you just buy Watchmen and spend probably millions on, on getting that brand and then decide not to use any of it? That's just insane. But no, I was very, very wrong because they decided to go in a very different direction. Now, there are, I'm going to say, a couple of characters from the original Watchmen in it a bit. None of them are the central character. And with the original, it was a critique on, if you like, 1980s consumerism. It was a critique on the superhero myth in the first place. It was also looking at some of the mistakes and arrogance of America in post-war world politics. And the other thing is that I do need to mention this, is 
the irony of Watchmen is they're not superheroes. They are normal human beings. Now, they might be well-trained. In the case of Rorschach, he's very good at hand-to-hand combat. Or in the case of Night Owl, a bit like Batman, but nowhere near as rich. Yeah, he's got all the tech. But there is one person who genuinely has superpowers. And his story is the bit that really hooked my wife in. And indeed, the whole story in the movie with this beautiful organ music going in the background is just magnificent. His name is Dr. Manhattan. And what happened was he was a scientist who gets caught up in the middle of a experiment to do with electrons and sort of space and time. And he is blown to his back into his component particles and he slowly rebuilds himself through his sheer willpower. And so when he appears back at the same laboratory, he is this bright blue, totally naked man of perfect physique. Oh, he's also completely bald as well. So if that sounds weird, yeah, it is. And can be a little bit distracting in the movie too. Because, yeah, they they don't skimp on the nudity. And he talks this incredibly calm way. He is now beyond human. And he can do anything. He is far more powerful than Superman or Magneto. He basically can just think about something and it will happen. He just instantly teleports from Earth to Mars and then builds an entire kind of clockwork glass city on Mars's surface because he can which leads to a whole philosophical conversation about, you know, what is humanity and how on earth could you have a relationship between a human and a superhuman? So he's great. And there are little moments, elements of him in the TV show. But here's the thing. The TV show is set in 2019. It's not set in the 1980s. It's set in Tulsa. And yet the opening scene, I was well aware that obviously... Watchmen has played fast and loose with history in the past, like Richard Nixon having four terms, things like that. Oh, and also in the movie, a great little shot at the beginning. There's all these sequences from American history from the 1940s onwards, and it, but you see the Watchmen or Minutemen or Dr. Manhattan involved in them, and there's a great shot of Neil Armstrong landing on the moon and doing his speech there, and yet Dr. Manhattan standing next to him, just watching it all happen, not getting involved. It's like, that's just, that's so clever. But with what we've got with the latest one, the TV series, is the opening says Tulsa 1921. And you then see this huge race riot breakout. We're in a black community in Tulsa in 1921, and there's screaming and shouting and shooting and fire bombing an airplane goes overhead at one point dropping bombs and i'm sitting there going what okay fair enough they're clearly playing fast and loose because i would clearly know something about this but of course after the first episode i and millions of other white people went onto the internet and went oh my god this is real this actually happened in may and june of 1921 And the answer is yes, and it it led me down this really important road. Because when we talk about American history, post-World War I, pre-World War II, it it tends to be things like the the foundation of the League of Nations and Woodrow Wilson's involvement in that. And you get the stock market crash in 29, and you've got Prohibition, and you've got the Great Depression. These are the cornerstones. And yet... What was also happening at the same time was colossal amounts of violence against the black community in America. So I discovered, to my horror, there's this whole area in African-American studies called the Red Summer of 1919. 
Uh, and what that was, was kind of as it sounds, all over America, from major cities like Chicago and New York to tiny little towns in Kansas, there was constant discrimination and racial violence against black people. And it's that background. I'll give you one example. I dug into this and it became a part of my most recent historical novel, which is based in 2020, during the pandemic, with a nurse in New York. And in 1918 to 1920, during the pandemic, in New York with a nurse. So you can see that, and, and I have to say, while I was writing it last year, and you had sort of horrible things like George Floyd going on, you know, the death of George Floyd. And then I'm also reading about the Red Summer as well. It's like, oh my God, there's no difference. History is really has just repeated itself. The racial tensions, the pandemic, the fighting about masks, a president who is responding in the incorrect way to reduce racial tensions. Woodrow Wilson, I always thought was the guy who was instrumental in making peace in World War One, and that's true, but he was, even by the times, quite the white supremacist. Now, it doesn't seem that he actually was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, but that's pretty much the short of it that you can get. There was a huge campaign of violence against black people in Washington, D.C., which he resolved by sending in the National Guard, not by trying to calm everybody down, but by sending in troops. Just absolutely mind-blowing. And all of this was sort of triggered by this TV show, which sort of was about the superhero-y bit. And in it, again, I can understand why you're, if you're a purist of the original, you might have problems with how they're sort of changing things around. But here's a bit of genius. In the original Watchmen, there is a very minor character called Hooded Justice. He's from that earlier group of superheroes called the Minutemen. And Hooded Justice was weird. He was a big, burly guy, and he had a hood on and a mask on, but around his neck there was a noose. And he has a couple of scenes in the entire original Watchmen, and that is it, done. And then in the TV show, it actually goes back to Hooded Justice and shows him having problems with the law. And at one point they pull off his hood and, you know, it's sort of like a white guy with curly hair. So I was saying, you're not going to tell me what to do, et cetera, et cetera. And then you go back to the 1940s and see what really happened. And it turns out that Hooded Justice was a black man who somebody had tried to lynch. Hence why he had the noose around his neck. Now, that was never the intended usage of Hooded Justice by Alan Moore. But this is a genius sign where people are respectful to the original content, but putting it off into a different direction and having a different conversation. Because as, as I said, Alan Moore is the sort of person who is not going to toe the party line, who's not going to vote for the most populous person. He's one of these people who continually ask questions and looks for the real hidden truth of matters. And I don't know what he thought of that, but I suspect if he ever bothered to watch it, he probably hasn't even seen it, he would sit there and go, huh, that's really interesting. And Hooded Justice, the reason why everyone thought he was white is because this black man put white pigmentation, or let's say Caucasian skin color around his eyes so that when people saw just around the eyes in the mask, they assumed he was white. Because a black man going around dispensing vigilante justice on white people, that will get you killed. But if everyone thinks you're white, maybe that's kind of okay. So really, whereas with the original, there's been all these conversations about these other areas, what the TV show has this conversation about completely different, but just as important social trends and issues. Of course, also in it, there is some very, very clever 
storytelling involving another character who was both in the original and is in the TV series, Ozymandias, who I'm not going to go into any more than that, but chef's kiss perfection on that. Played by Jeremy Irons in the TV show. Now, Jeremy Irons, uh, run hot and cold on. It's clear from your vacant expression The lights are not all on upstairs I think he's one of these people where, yes, he's done some amazing stuff, but quite a lot of the time he's just a lovey. Oh, I feel simply awful. And I think people hire him because he's posh and British. Life's not fair, is it? But there are times when he reminds everybody, do you know what, you need to pay attention to me because I am really good at this. And this is an example of it. And this is obviously relatively late in his career too. So hopefully you can see how I'm pulling all of this stuff together. It isn't very hard. It, and initially you might be thinking, Jem, how are you gonna get any history, any real history out of comic books? But actually it's not really under the surface in either the comic or in the movie or in the TV show. No, for the record, the video game, which is called The End Is Nigh, Watchmen, The End Is Nigh, whereas all these other things are either hidden classics or genuinely important touchstones in pop culture history or just cultural history, <laughs> the video game's garbage. It was just a thing that was rushed out. No, 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 don't do it. And interestingly with DC, they resisted for more than 20 years to do any kind of follow-up, any kind of continuation. A movie to one side, because that was obviously going to replicate the original, but they did in the end do a series of other short stories, sort of short runs of things around the characters from Watchmen. That was called Before Watchmen. I've read a number of them. They're good. They're not great, they're good. You could tell the deference that these artists and writers were giving to this, but they were, if you like, so in awe of the original materials, all they were doing was adding rather than improving. At no point was it insulting, that's uh, worth pointing out, but I think a lot of people thought, yeah, yeah, okay, that wasn't a disaster. Well done. <laughs> a little bit like Toy Story 4. Everybody thought, okay, perfect ending Toy Story 3. Oh, oh what, you're gonna do another one? And then everybody watched went, oh, okay, okay, that, that wasn't a disaster. It maybe not quite as good as the originals. Look, it's good. Oh yeah, the whole gang's still together. Probably a bit superfluous, but hey, look, you know, okay, wasn't a disaster, well done. But please stop now. And interestingly, the before Watchmen there, there haven't been any more comics around that. But when it came to this TV series, what they did is, they were very respectful to the original, but they weren't in awe of it and decided to use it to tell their own story in the spirit of the original, which I think is marvellous. So, like I said, if you haven't seen any of this stuff or got involved in any of this, a great place to start is the comic book. That'll probably take you a while to read. It's dense. It was 12 episodes of an original comic book. So we're talking about hundreds of pages. And of course, the thing about comics is whereas there's less to read, of course, you do want to kind of sumptuously let this other stuff soak in. And as I said, it's even got a comic within a comic. There's this kid who keeps reading The Black Freighter, this story about this obsessive guy at the time of sale who gets attacked by pirates and has to sort of strap together flotsam and jetsam of the, of the ruined craft into a raft to tr desperately try and get home. That was turned into a 25-minute cartoon for the movie that was never put into the movie. 
It's amazing. That was voiced by Gerard Butler, who obviously had already worked with Zack Snyder in 300. I've actually got the DVD of the Black Freighter. There is a sort of super mega director's cut of Watchmen that has, you know, a few scenes that they didn't put in, but also interlace it with this Black Freighter stuff. So it really is kind of as dense as the original comic book. So look, read the comic, but if you really, really don't want to, you can rent out on something like Amazon Primes, whatever, Watchmen the movie, but please do one or the other before you watch the TV show because it adds so much more. But this TV show, I would also say, is absolutely essential. It's 10 episodes and done. They're not sure if they're ever going to make any more. It doesn't end on a cliffhanger or anything like that. And it is also just an absolute masterpiece. So what we've been talking about now, really, is just a whole period of excellence. If you want to see an amazing short TV series, well, there's something called Watchmen that does it. If you want to see an amazing, respectful adult comic book movie, well, there's one called Watchmen. Go and watch it. And if you want to read, arguably, the greatest comic book of all time, there's one called Watchmen. Go and read it. So Watchmen is, quite frankly, the gold standard of pop culture. Thanks very much for listening. Stay safe and hopefully speak to you soon. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.